electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in fast, Elon Musk facing his shareholders. The annual meeting is underway. The stock after roaring higher in Q1 now stuck in neutral. What can he do to get things revved up again? We'll debate that. Plus, Home Depot's fixer upper of a quarter. The home improvement giant posting its biggest revenue miss in over 20 years. As do-it-yourselfers shelf big ticket items, the retail ripple effect straight ahead. And later, Japan's big market milestone, Amazon's AI ambitions for shoppers and the government looking to block a big biotech deal. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we begin with some signs of progress from today's White House meeting between President Biden and congressional leaders on the debt ceiling. Speaker McCarthy saying after the meeting that negotiators are still far apart, but a deal by the end of the week is, quote, possible. I guess that's good news. Our Eamon Javers joins us from Washington with the very latest. Eamon. I guess it is good news, too, Melissa. You know, a little bit of optimism here from lawmakers as they came out of that meeting, talked to reporters on the North Lawn of the White House, suggesting that there was no deal in the room today as they met with the president of the United States. But there was some progress. I want to play for you a soundbite from Speaker McCarthy because he hit on something that I think might be key as this negotiation enters into its final phase. Take a listen. What has changed in this meeting is the president changed the scope of who's all negotiating. Appoint somebody from the president's team who can work with the speaker's team to see if we could come to an agreement. That is what the decision was made in this meeting. So the structure of of, um, how we negotiate has improved. So the Speaker of the House there suggesting that the structure of this negotiation is what changed. There's going to be a key point person on each side who's going to run it on a staff level. That's different. Uh, That might indicate that there's actually some stuff to talk about, and that might indicate that there's some progress about to be made. Remember, the X date is June 1st. Uh, That's not for a while yet. We still have to do a lot of brinksmanship getting up to the end of that. Uh, But it does give you a sense that there's a formal negotiating structure in place behind the scenes, as you just heard the Speaker say. We also heard from Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate. Uh, He also talked about some of the things that made him optimistic today. What gave me the most hope, and there were a bunch of things, is that everyone, including the Speaker, agreed we need to be bipartisan. The idea of having a partisan bill we knew would get us nowhere, and everyone freely admitted that. So, Melissa, that might be as optimistic as you can be without an actual deal on the table here. One more interesting behind-the-scenes tidbit on the negotiations. Uh, We did hear from the White House today that the president is going to cut his Asia trip short after the G7 on Sunday. He's going to return to Washington to be here on Monday uh, for the final week and a half or so of the negotiations as they really get down to brass tacks next week. So uh, a burst of optimism, a rare thing here in Washington, Melissa. Back over to you. Uh, Yep. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers, I feel like Washington has a different definition of optimism than normal (laughs) people because to improve the the negotiating structure, the fact that President Biden is coming back from an overseas trip, I feel like these things, they need to be bipartisan. These are things that we all knew had to happen in order for any deal to come together. I'm not surprised. I think it's nice (laughs) that the president's not going to Papua New Guinea and he wants to kind of come home and sign a deal. So... um, 
But I'll say this again, straight out of central casting on both sides. Yeah. I th- I, I'm optimistic, actually. Are when you more optimistic well, based t- on this optimism? I can, only, I can only be more optimistic. <laughs> but, no, I am. The fact that he's cutting his trip short, I think it's a good sign. When Chuck Schumer uses language like that, he's probably trying to be somewhat tempered, so he's probably more enthusiastic than he is. And I'll say this, the gold market today appears as though something's going to get done as well. Gold sort off in a pretty precipitous way. Now, with that said, you saw the late sell-off in the S&P and the HYG, which is interesting and sort of counter to what I just said. But, yeah, I'm a little more optimistic having heard that. I think both sides live and die by polls. So the American population is getting tired of hearing about this debt ceiling debate. But when you look at it, why would we ever have had a debt ceiling issue anyway? They could always kick it down the road till September 30th. So there should never be a default. That's off the table. Are there crazy people on both sides? Yes. Are, is this going to happen on, on right now? I don't think so. I think the worst case scenario is they sign it for September 30th kick the can down the road, and nothing happens. Crisis averted, everyone back to normal. Yeah, it's, it's really hard, though, to kind of see what the market's pricing because it doesn't yeah. seem like it's pricing a whole heck of a lot. And I just go back to small caps. And I, I think about this as if there was, like, something that doesn't kick the can down the road, even if it's to September 30th, you know, any drawn-out situation, any increased volatility, anything that actually makes consumers, like, think twice about spending or businesses think twice about capex and those sorts of things, that is just a, a surety. One thing that we are all debating is, like, is there going to be a recession? How long will it be? If it happens, this would put us in a recession, any, you know, like, very quickly if there was, like, some sort of prolonged situation that resulted in some sort of near-term default or the, the government, you know, inability to pay their bills. Uh, you know, the market's not pricing anything. The only thing that appears to be pricing is small-cap stock some sort of disruption or a slowdown in the economy. I, I think if you look at the VIX, the market isn't pricing anything. If you ask me if our equity market's pricing in a default, I'd say no. But um, I then look also at the breakout of mega cap tech stocks and, and where we are in cash levels, that Bank of America fund manager survey. Uh, we've had the biggest move in the tech stocks since 2009 over the last two months. That's a market that's defensive. There's yeah. no question about it. And, and so um, the VIX headlines, we've talked about it, that, that these VIX geeks need to break it down nicely. You yeah. are a VIX geek, yeah. Dan. Um, that's a compliment. Um, and, and I, you know, there are reasons why volatility is so low, but there's no question um, that the, the stock market is not pricing in disaster. Um, and I think that's something that I, I think is, is probably appropriate. But the market is pricing in recession if, and if it we, is pricing a lower. Sorry. If, if we were going to default, if that was really on the table, then you have to start investing. You sell the dollar and you invest international. But I don't think that's going to happen. So you could see the reverse of that. You could see people buying the dollar-denominated assets, obviously risk on once again. But if we get close to that hiccup, then you want to be getting out of the dollar because everyone else will be doing the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the meantime, right, big cap tech is almost like the new staples, mm-hmm. the new utilities in this sort of market. Money market. So, right, exactly. So the fact that we've seen flows over the past couple of months, we continue to see big cap tech and the big cap stocks really do all of the work in the market sky. This really tells you that, to Tim's point, it is a defensive market. We are pricing something in. We're not pricing it in a conventional way. We're pricing it for this reality, which is at the flight to these big cap tech stocks. All great companies, but again, is that a healthy sign for the broader market? We can debate it whether or not these other companies will start to play catch up at some point. But the fact that these have been defensive and valuations have gone up along with it. We talk about it all the time. I'm not suggesting that I'm right, but all the moves in a Microsoft to a certain extent in Apple, all multiple expansion, which is fine. I mean, that can continue for a period of time. 
until it doesn't, and then things catch up. I mean, the last couple quarters for those companies, by their own standards, were not particularly good. The stock reactions have been remarkable. Yeah, the concentration is about as bad as it can get right now, and I'll tell you why. If you look at energy, you look at financials, you look at small caps we just mentioned, look at other parts of the, of the economy you know, that are very cyclical, of this market, and they're saying something very different than five stocks that make up nearly 50% of the NASDAQ 100. And so when you think about all of the risk of the entire stock market has been transformed to these five stocks at a time where plenty of other sectors are telling you there are problems out there, or at least they're pricing in a slowdown in the economy. But when you have a market cap weighted index, you're going to get that. I agree, it's, it's, it's expanded dramatically, but usually you have 20% of the market in those top five to 10 names. Now it's 30%. But you understand what I'm saying is, but all of I the concentration- but it's cap related. No, I understand, but so- You guys need to understand each other. Yeah, no, but, if all, but, but all of the risk and though- when someone says, do you understand? <laughs> I, split I, it you up. You have to say so yes, I do. Up, I think I would. Yeah, that's what I would okay, do right now. Look, Go ahead. all right. Go, Dan, please. No, no, I, I'm just saying, like, like it, it's it's about as acute as it's been in a long time. Yes. In five names yeah. at a time right. where we have so many headphones. That's my point. Okay. They did agree. it. Look, I think we agree totally on all of it. Okay, let's move on. on. But they split them up. Now, <laughs> we got to stay here. Now, no, we don't. Uh, now to other, the other big story of the day, Tesla's annual investor meeting. It's underway right now. The stock is racing higher earlier this year. But now Tesla's spinning its wheels. Shares dropping nearly 18% over the past three months. Beyond the meeting, we are also counting down to the huge Elon Musk exclusive one-on-one with our own David Faber. CNBC's Phil LeBeau has got the latest developments from this meeting today. Phil. Melissa, they have just started the Q&A session of the annual meeting, which is always interesting because that's probably where you get Elon Musk, where he is the most uh, off the cuff, if you will. In fact, somebody just asked him point blank, how are you doing? You've had a lot happening in the last year. And he said, yeah, it's been a little rough. Had to do some open heart surgery on Twitter, but I feel good with Linda Yaccarino taking over there. That was a comment from just a few minutes ago. Two pieces of news Uh, have been made by Elon Musk this afternoon. One of them with regard to his view of the economy and where it's at, where it's headed, and how long until he he sees things improving. He's not real optimistic near term. Here's Musk talking about the next 12 months. I expect things to be just at a macroeconomic level um, difficult for at least the next 12 months. like t- Tesla will get through it and we'll do well. And I think we'll see a lot of companies actually uh, go bankrupt. That's Elon Musk talking about the economy and what he expects over the next 12 months. He says he believes that Tesla shareholders will be better off, let's say 12 months to 18 months down the road, uh, once they come through this patch uh, that he expects for the entire economy. With regard to Tesla specifically, he did say that the company is planning a couple of new products. So there's some news there. Here's Musk talking about what they're planning. Two new products that I think you will be very excited about. And both the design of the products and the manufacturing techniques um, are head and shoulders above anything else that is present in industry. He did not put a volume on those two new products, but he was extremely bullish in saying 
they will be big sellers, in his opinion, for Tesla at some point in the future. Melissa, we don't know what those products are. He said there will be a proper unveiling, if you will, at some point down the road. I'm almost positive one of them is going to be a lower-priced car, probably something that they can sell in that twenty-five dollars to $30,000 range, if not a little bit lower. Likely will be built at the Giga Mexico, which is being uh, built in northern Mexico right now. As for the other vehicle, there has been speculation that we might see a more full-size SUV, a traditional-looking SUV at some point. But that's Elon so far talking about what he expects. And like everybody, Melissa, we're looking forward to this interview with David Faber coming up at the top of the hour. We are. Thank you, Phil. Phil LeBeau, who is, by the way, in-house here at the NASDAQ market site. Again, 6 p.m., that one-on-one David Faber with Elon Musk. Um, two new products, particularly when we're talking about a more affordable product. Isn't that the holy grail here to get a Tesla car in the hands 3, of everybody? Wasn't that the Model 3? Wasn't that supposed to be the, the car for the masses? I mean, for the masses, but, but 25 to 30 could be emerging markets. Mr. Emerging Markets. It could be. <laughs> and, and this was a classic Elon headline. Very vague, um, very uh, pronounced and, and very dramatic. And, and you know, um, I think it's, it's exciting to think about that. I think the, the, the dynamics around the company right now are, are really people, um, you know, they're on both sides of this. Where is demand? Um, and again, is this production at, at any cost and at any margin um, the right strategy? And I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about that. Margins, that's exactly what does it mean for margins? They talked about it in the fall, they being Tesla, that their margins were coming down, but they wouldn't reach the levels that the Fords and the GMs mm-hmm. were. I think 16%, something like that number. I think they're below 20% or right around 20%, which I think alarm bells go off when we get south of that. And they're trending down to those levels. And this is interesting. I'm not trying to parse every word, but after he said roughly 12 months, the global economy will be better. So anyone who is a long-term investor in Tesla will do extremely well. Right. What happens in the short term, though? I mean, the stock has not traded particularly well for over a year. That bounce over 100% notwithstanding. I mean, there's still a $165 stock, significantly lower than its all-time high. So at this level, I mean, this is really the level of support. We start breaking down here meaningfully, and you're probably looking at that 110 level again. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, they're really wrong about one thing. They, they thought that there was going to be this elasticity if they reduced the price of these cars. And what happened is it just destroyed profitability. We saw that, okay, with the margin decline. It was much worse than um, people expected. That's even with the, um, the IRA, the credits. you know, credits, that yeah. sort of thing. So, I, I mean, if demand really does fall off and there is a big price war, and your point about the Model 2, this really lower end than the Model 3, they're having huge competition issues in places like China in emerging markets right now. So to me, yeah, I, I but all of Latin America. Okay, fine. It's manufacturing maybe, there. Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, like, right now, I mean, like, it, it, China is the growth engine, right? And so, like, that would take a couple years to get ramped up, wouldn't it? Yeah. Long term, you said long term. Mm. Anyway, let's bring in Tesla Bowl, Gene Munster, Managing Partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. How excited are you, if at all, about this, you know, Tesla Model 2 or whatever you want to call it, this, this lowest end car that could and could be unveiled soon? Uh, scale 1 to 10, uh, 9.5. Uh, this huh? is a measurable uh, outcome, a measurable uh, development. We know it's coming. We don't know the timing of it, but just to kind of put the context of the conversation and ultimately is there is this is about selling units. It's about deliveries. And to increase deliveries, you need to increase your product line. They really have two products right now, Model Y, Model 3. 
They announced today that Model Y is the best-selling non-pickup truck in the U.S. Non-pickup truck means pickups sell more than the Model Y. That's the F-150. And I think there's an opportunity for Tesla. If you just take the step back here, uh, Cybertruck's going to be coming out next year. That could be it could be a nothing. It could be a grand slam. And then you put on that a lower-priced vehicle that you're talking about. And then there's this other vehicle. I'm going to guess that it's probably something like a kind of a van, a Sprinter-like, a Mercedes Sprinter-like type of vehicle. Uh, smaller market than the Model Y, but still kind of fills in this product uh, gap. And they don't update their products very often. as They're very different than a typical car maker. So I'm optimistic about the long term here based on what's going to be more models coming out. And, and it's, uh, yes, we're in a storm around uh, the economy right now. But as soon as these products start coming out, I suspect investor optimism related to Tesla is going to shift to more being more positive. Uh, Gene, hold on. I want to get to Phil LeBeau again. He's got some more details from the meeting. Phil. It just came out a couple of minutes ago, Melissa. A question (laughs) from one of the shareholders was basically, why don't you do advertising? If you did advertising, you might be able to reach a larger audience and advance sales Mm -hmm. and advance the uh, development of electric vehicles. Elon Musk kind of talked about it. He said, yeah, maybe. He goes, hey, I'm open to ideas. We will try advertising. We'll give it a shot. Now, does that mean that we expect a full campaign that you would see from a traditional automaker? I don't think so. But it is significant, Melissa, because they have never done any type of advertising. Let's see if this is just a comment that is made at an annual meeting or if there's follow through here and we actually do see some form of advertising for Teslas over the next couple of years. Sounds like a comment made by the owner of Twitter, which relies on advertising. Um, (laughs) Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau for keeping us posted. Um, Gene, back to this here. Should we think about Tesla now as as growth at all costs? I mean, is that the right sort of way that we're looking at it? Because that's what it sounds like, that whatever products they have, they don't really care about the profitability. They don't care about the margin. They want to get the units out there. That's what you made it sound like, too. Yeah, I think think, uh, Dan was mentioning that mm-hmm. earlier on. I agree with that. I think that they are. This is growth at all costs. This is not just an EV story. It's not just a Model 3 and Y. We talked about the other two products that are coming out. They led their investor commentary today to talk about Master Plan 3. There's going to be HVAC. That's a new product. Obviously, FSD, uh, more solar products. Uh, and then he said Optimist. And this is the kind of the, I guess, the eye-rolling comment. Uh, I think the head of the eye-rolling comment is that long-term optimists will create more value, be more of the valuation of of Tesla. Obviously, this is this robotic that is just in its infancy right now. But all those, when you put this whole piece together, what this is, it's growth. I mean, each of these products are going after big addressable markets. And I would just put that up against when the the debate about investing in this is that put that lineup, uh, even if two or three of those hit, Uh, put that line up against any other car makers. And I think that uh, Tesla still stands above the rest when it comes to growth opportunities. It's going to be bumpy, but they're going after such big markets and they got such a good lead. I suspect that the momentum is going to shift more positively in the quarters ahead. Gene, do you think the market has become too fixated on that margin of 20 percent because they're so far ahead of the competition? Do you think that's where we should be fixated on the fact that even if it drops to 15 percent, they're still going to be way ahead of the other car makers. I, I think I know your answer, but why do you think the market attached itself to 20? Markets uh, typically looks two, three years out. In the case of Tesla, it's been looking uh, the one quarter, two quarters out, uh, focused on that number. 
if that number goes down, let's say it goes at 15% number, the stock's going to go down. I'm going to be uh, wrong in the near term. But I think that eventually, I think what really separates, and this is what we do at Deepwater, is look for persistent growth. These are companies that grow longer for faster. And I think what uh, really uh, the opportunity around Tesla is to uh, lean into wh whatever the margin is, if it's 8%, if it's 2%. Mm -hmm. But if they start capturing some of these markets, they are large. And large is an understatement. And I think that eventually the profitability is going to swing back. And uh, they've shown they can do that in electric, uh, electric vehicles. I think they can do it in energy capture. And, uh, and eventually, uh, long, long, long shot here, but eventually around Optimus and robotics. Gene, thanks. We'll check back with you. you. The shareholder meeting, of course, still underway. We'll keep you posted on any developments. Meantime, coming up, spending slowdown. Home Depot delivering a weak outlook as consumers pull back. So could Target and other retailers follow? we got the details straight ahead. Plus some overseas outperformance. Japanese stocks continuing to rally and hitting their highest levels in 33 years. Can the climb continue? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Home Depot dropping today after delivering its worst revenue miss in 20 years. The home improvement retailer also saying even high-income homeowners are cutting back on spending. That warning sending Williams-Sonoma and RH shares lower today. Two retailers catering to the higher-end home goods shopper. Target reports before the bell tomorrow, and it might be in an even tougher spot than Home Depot. The retailer is highly reliant on discretionary spending. Only 21% of its revenues come from groceries. Um, what should we glean from this other than something that we've been saying for a long time, and that is there has been a tremendous pull forward when it comes to these discretionary items, particularly for the home during the pandemic. How many oven mitts and pillows do you need in your house, Scott? Well, are, you buying, are you buying oven mitts at Home Depot? By the way, that explains a lot. No, but man. for like William Sonoma and oh. RH and the higher end consumer that's buying fancy Take as many things. of their oven mitts as they have to sell me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a great looking oven mitt. You get the oh, small man. ones. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Got it, baby. All right. I'm sorry. You can't, uh, can't even talk. Okay, I'll take, I'll take talk. it from here. So I, I think in Home Depot's case, um, no one's had a sweeter spot than Home Depot's had. And if you think about it, again, there's been lumber deflation. Um, so as we're speaking about small mitts, I mean, I think this is something else that uh, I, I think Home Depot is suffering from. They were in the perfect space for two years. And I actually don't think these numbers are that bad. If you look at their gross margin, it's still above a 2019 level. Should you be out rushing to buy Home Depot here? No. Was that guy disappointing? Is this shocking for Home Depot? But this is hardly, uh, you know, like, you know, run for the 
the doors. And in fact, their pro-business is part of the reason why they're very resilient, because there still are a lot of contractors out there filling a lot of orders. But, you know, it's a sign of the times. We're ne- they're never going to see that again. Home Depot will never see. And that includes their margin profile. That was it. I've composed myself. Thank you. You're welcome. I thought the stock actually traded okay today on what wound up being a pretty lousy overall tape. I mean, the stock was down four bucks. 275 was still a support level we talked about. It should have been worse. The restoration hardware move was really bad. Yeah. I mean, they took that out to the woodshed. And that is just, you know, on valuation, it's actually cheaper than Home Depot. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't think HD traded particularly bad today. It traded a few times normal volume. If you for a trade, I think you could be long the stock. Anything that you're going to need a second mortgage to buy, anything that's related on interest rates. When you go to Home Depot, people are putting extensions on their house. They're doing new bathrooms. They're doing new, new kitchens. If it's a sectional couch, yes, you probably have to finance that too. But you have to be a little more cautious. If it's a high-end product, people who have money might curtail it a little bit, but they're still going to spend it. If you need a second mortgage to buy it, stay away from those. So you're stocks. saying you'd rather be in Home Depot, even if there's a pullback in, sp- in no, spending. I, I don't. I think Home Depot. I could see those people mm-hmm. pulling back because they have to actually take out a loan. So anything that needs a loan, but if you're talking <laughs> about high-end clothing, I think you could still be there. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Guy just said he's surprised how well it traded today. I mean, this stock, you know, trades at a market multiple. And I think we can all agree on this desk that we don't think the multiple assigned to the broad market right now is appropriate, given how fast interest rates have come. And what we're starting to see is sort of the data from the economy. When you hear a company like this, I think you said, Mel, it was like the worst revenue miss in 20 years. These are not one quarter sort of things, you know. And so here's a company that's dealing with a hangover from the pandemic. They really benefited from a lot of the dynamics that were going on in the housing market and low rates and all that sort of stuff. And then we think about, again, the conversation we were having at the top of the, uh, you know, you were talking about margin expansion and some of these new staples now, like the biggest companies on the planet who have all these moats and now they're trading at like 30 times or whatever. So to me, there needs to be some sort of like, we need to see this kind of spread narrow a little bit. And to me, it's just getting further widened right now. Home Depot or Target, Tim? Mm. Home Depot. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think you've had to pull back here. Let's see where it goes over the next couple of days. I, I agree. This doesn't turn around overnight, but I'm still going to get, you know, mask and tape and, and drop cloths and fertilizer and sure you are. and spectricide. <laughs> and, you know, that's what I do. A lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Japanese stocks jumping, soaring to a 33 year high. But can the overseas outperformance keep on rolling? The traders break it down next. Plus, artificial acceleration. Amazon, the latest company to get in on the AI surge. But does this kind of feel like a backtothefuture.com moment? We'll debate. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Japanese stocks continuing to climb. The broad-based topics index jumping half a percent in Tuesday's session to reach its highest level since August 1990. That brings the index's gains this quarter to 6%. Japan's other major, major index, the Nikkei, gaining nearly 6.5% in the same period, sitting at highs not seen since November of 2021. Both of those indices outpacing major averages in the U.S., with the S&P 500 nearly flat since April. Um, Tim, this is a major milestone for, for Japanese stocks. It, it is. And we can look back and say they're still not above that, you know, that blow off top from the late 80s. But it's it's been extraordinary. The Japanese market has seen greater payout levels, has seen greater free cash flow of their companies. And if you look at, you know, Toyota, Sony, uh, Hitachi, Sumitomo, Mitsubishi, and if you look at their banks, um, they traded about half the price to tangible book as U.S. banks. I'll just say this about international everywhere. You look at the DAX, it's within a whisper of all-time highs here. If you look at the, at the FTSE, it is at all-time highs, effectively. Um, people are betting, and again, I would go back to that Bank of America fund manager survey. They're betting on a weaker dollar. A weak dollar is a very crowded trade. Long European equities is a very crowded trade. I advise on an international ETF called IDEVO, and, and what you see is people want to find the most um, cash flow generative stalwart balance sheet companies around the world that actually will benefit when China kicks it up in right. high gear. Yeah, part of it is it's the not China trade, right? right? It doesn't have that geopolitical risk. Then there's also the Buffett factor. 100%. Without question that he gave, he shined a light without question on all those brokers out there. I think he owns five or six of them, but he put it on the map. Now more people are focused on it. You're starting to see money flows there. And you're right, the EWJ that, uh, that Steve talks about, it's not breaking out necessarily, but it still has room probably to 71 or so, which is levels we saw a couple of years ago. So this is an interesting place to be for sure. We haven't seen inflation in Japan in forever. And now you started to see it in the last couple of months. So they're the real canary in the coal mine. You want to watch what's going on in Japan. But I think it has a lot more to do with what you said, that people want to be exposed to that area, don't want to be exposed to China. And they use that as a replacement theory for buying, buying stocks in that area. Coming up, primed for an AI boost, Amazon jumping on plans to add a chatbot search feature. Just the latest company to get on the AI surge, ARK Invest chief futurist Brett Winton joins us next to lay out what is next for this space. And according to him, there's still a lot more to come. That interview is next. And we're just 30 minutes away from David Faber's exclusive interview with Elon Musk, fresh off of Tesla's annual investor day. We'll have special coverage at the top of the hour. Meantime, we're back in two. News on Elon Musk from Elon Musk. Phil Abo has been listening in on that conference call. Phil. Melissa, a few final questions from shareholders. One of them was Point Blake saying, hey, there's lots of rumors out there that you are going to step down as CEO of Tesla. Is that true? Elon said, no, he is not planning on stepping down. He plans on remaining CEO of Tesla. And then unprovoked, he said, why? Which is he believes that the development of artificial intelligence, AI, needs to be done responsibly and needs to be incorporated into future products at Tesla and elsewhere responsibly. And he said, I got to stick around and make sure that happens. So that question has been floating out there, Melissa, for some time. Would he possibly say at some point, eh, I've had enough. I'm going to move into a different role. He says, no, that's not happening. All right, Phil, interesting that the stock is not really reacting too much right now on that headline. Phil LeBeau um, up seven-tenths of a percent right now. After-hour session highs, but still not really much of a move. I don't know. What do you think? I would have thought it might have seen a bigger pop. 
Well, you know, to the extent that this is a guy that is a cult of personality CEO and he's somebody that's reaffirmed he's going to be at the helm. We've gotten the news on Twitter over the last couple, last week or so. I mean, I, I don't think there's any surprise here. I mean, he's pretty much let people know I'm, I'm here and I'm focused. All right. Meantime, Amazon shares climbing almost 2% today. On reports, it is planning to add generative AI to its search feature. Amazon now the latest big tech company to move into AI search following Microsoft and Alphabet. All three stocks up over the past week. So is the AI hype warranted? Dan, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, not near term. I mean, this is a company that's been using machine learning, deep learning, all those phrases before we started saying I for like probably over a decade. If you think about the recommendation engine that they've been using, that was some of the secret sauce about the growth of their e-commerce and then just search relevancy and, you know, search and advertising become a huge business for them, over $30 billion a year. And then you think about how they're using all of those technologies um, as it relates across AWS and all the services they provide there, their logistics. So the fact that this stock turned around after they gave guidance, okay, remember that 10%, uh, and now it's rallied 10%. This is part of what I'm saying. When I say this is a bubble, it's a near-term bubble that is not particularly warranted across multiple stocks. This is um, exhibit A here. So to me, I mean, this doesn't make a whole heck of a lot. Amazon's a great company, and they've been doing the right things for a long period of time, but right now it seems a bit of a hype. For more on this, let's bring in ARK Invest Chief Futurist, Brett Winton, Fast Money's favorite futurist. Brett, great to have you with us. Great to be there. The only one we know, actually. Um, <laughs> just, but just to be clear, uh, for Amazon, when we think about what Amazon does already, I mean, it knows what books I want to read, it knows you know, what food I like to eat, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, in, in, on some levels, isn't AI already being implemented? What is the difference between what, is, what Amazon is doing now with what they will employ? Well, I, I think that this is more speaks to how Amazon's front-end experience is, is broken and, and perhaps profoundly broken because of the way they incorporate kind of third-party products onto their platform. I think Amazon's um, platform, it, it has a lot of legacy debt to how the business has evolved. And so it's natural that they try to apply new language models to helping user discovery. I think through their smart speaker networks, that's maybe been a more uh, promising way they they can deliver users to products that they want to buy. And every company is going to have to adapt to AI. It's funny, Dan, to hear you talking about, oh, this is is hype or a near-term hype cycle. Our belief is that there's going to be upwards of $90 trillion that accrues to uh, the enterprise value of AI software companies, broadly speaking. Uh, and, and to give you a sense of that scale, the current equity markets are on the order of $100 trillion. So there's a huge business value opportunity that's going to be um, kind of accommodated over the course of this business cycle. Now, is Amazon, because it announces a large language model at its front end, going to take advantage of that? Uh, probably not. It's actually you know, maybe a legacy infrastructure that they have that they need to upgrade to stay competitive with nimble competitors. 90 trillion. But how much is destroyed, Brett, on the other side of it? I mean, I'm just curious because on the on the face of it, it sounds like an amazing thing that Amazon's going to be doing this. But at the same time, if you think about how Amazon is working right now, when you search for something, you know, the knock on Amazon in recent years is that it delivers a lot of sponsored content Um, products you may not necessarily want, but they pay for the advertising. (laughs) How does that work when you're doing generative AI? Do we know enough yet to know that this will be as profitable for Amazon as its current business model? I mean, the short answer is no, we don't. And and that's 
part of the reason why I'm surprised that the shares rally on the news because they do have an advertising business and companies are basically uh, merchants jockeying to appear higher on their search rankings and and using a large language model to deliver end users to products could break that and perhaps profoundly. Uh, Google faces the exact same dilemma. I think the the it's interesting to me that these large you know, mega cap tech companies have rallied over the course of the last few months when it seems to me that the, the likely output of AI is to enable their smaller and more nimble competitors to to pick to, you know, uh, nibble at their heels while they use these technologies to try to beat each other over the head. Uh, and so it's not clear to me that it accrues to any of the mega cap tech companies benefit, despite what the market seems to be uh, embedding. Brett, so that's my question. Why is why this announcement from Amazon today? I mean, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and, and I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. We certainly argued cynically um, that AI is is something that's already like Amazon didn't just start investing here. Google, you know. Uh, so, w- what are they all? Do- why are they doing? Is this as simple as just understanding kind of what moves stocks, or is there more going on here? I mean, sometimes it could be that that the leadership team believes that their employees are not moving quickly enough to deploy technology. And so it's a way to prod the internal employee base that this is something we need to take seriously. And we know it's going to disrupt existing business lines. And and we as an organization need to move more quickly. I can't speak to exactly why, you know, Amazon announces this now. I I can say that across the board, enterprises are taking up AI very quickly because they see very clear ROI cases. And and it's not just in these big tech companies that it's happening. This is accelerating every um, technology across every sector. And and I think business leaders or savvy business leaders know they need to move quickly because or else they're going to uh, fall behind because of the rapidity of the pace of change here. It sounds like, Brett, that what you're saying is that if you want to play AI, if you want to invest in AI, Investing in the five biggest technology companies in the United States, that's not the way to go right now. Yeah, I think I think it actually uh, imperils each of their business models is, is imperiled by a, in a unique way. Apple has uh, privacy issues that prevents it from taking data from users. Google has their entire search franchise that's potentially put at risk. Google's using it to try to wound Microsoft and its Office 365 product. And here, Amazon... AI, if anything, is likely to empower a lot of independent merchants to operate outside of Amazon's platform and eat away at the logistics advantage they have in in low-cost delivery uh, by enabling drone delivery from outside vendors and and really producing point-to-point mobility for people. In the meantime, you just mentioned Tesla and, and Elon Musk. Hey, you know, Tesla has the largest deployed fleet of robots in the world. Uh, if you look at Amazon's robot fleet for its distribution centers, they have roughly 3,000 uh, robots per employee. Tesla, if you if you look at the, their vehicles, they have 300,000 per employee in terms of deployed robots. And so mm-hmm. I think that there's, yeah, there's interesting in other ways to play this. Brett, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Brett Winton of ARC Invest. Dan? I think we're on the same page. And when we look at that ARC Innovation ETF, so if the best way is not to play these large platform companies. There's a bunch of garbage in there. There's like a bunch of stuff that's down on average, like 75% from their all-time highs. And they were all deemed to be innovative technology companies a couple years ago. And I would assume that some of this tech would really help those names kind of getting them towards that $90 trillion in value. 
Coming up, Musk CTV. We're counting down to David Faber's exclusive interview with Elon Musk right here on CNBC at the top of the hour. This is the live look at Tesla headquarters. Uh, this is where it will happen. The crew is all set. We're now just awaiting David and Musk to show. But first, it's Biotech Blues for two healthcare stocks as the Federal Trade Commission tries to block their deal. We'll bring you the details and the trades next. Welcome back to Fast Money. A pair of healthcare stocks taking a hit today. Horizon Therapeutics nosediving after, uh, more than 14% after the Federal Trade Commission sued to block its acquisition by Amgen. The commission citing a lack of competition and monopoly concerns pertaining to two Horizons drugs. Amgen intends to challenge the objections in court in order to complete the nearly $28 billion deal by the end of the year. Guy. I thought this one was a foregone conclusion. So this clearly came out of nowhere. If you look at the way the stocks traded, stock market's telling you that as well. Amgen said they're going to mount a um, what's a vigorous defense. I'm probably paraphrasing, but it's effectively what's going to happen. And I think they'll wind up getting it done. I'm not really sure what the objections are. With that said, Amgen's just too cheap here. If you look at a chart, we're trading the levels that we basically have had found support a number of times. So Amgen on valuation, yes. And Horizon, I think it's just got whacked too much as well. I think Horizon's worth a look as well. This deal, I think, is going to get done one way, shape, or form. All right. Today's news sending Horizon's options into overdrive. Mike has got the details on one huge bet against the pharma name. Mike. Yeah, we saw over three times the average daily options volume in this. And the most active options were the January 2024 85 strike puts. We saw a block of 10,000 of those trade for $10.75. Two more blocks of 5,000 apiece traded for a similar price within minutes, and ultimately nearly 35,000 of them traded all day. This represents some of the highest premium I've ever seen spent on a single options trade. And my guess is what's going on is that people who are long the stock or may have purchased more of it, betting, as Guy said, that the deal's going to go through or deciding to hedge their bets. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more options action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, David Faber's exclusive interview with Elon Musk is just moments away. So what would our traders ask Elon? Stick around. We'll break that down right after this. We are just minutes away from David Faber's exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with Tesla CEO Elon Musk, the company's annual shareholder meeting just wrapping up. So as we get ready for that big interview, let's go around the horn and find out the one question our traders would be asking Elon Musk. But let's start with Gene Munster. Gene, what would you ask? Melissa, I would ask if we're going to see a punch through moment related to FSD. That was one of the continued themes of the whole shareholder meeting. He is pounding the table on FSD. We've heard that for years. But just like we saw ChatGPT punch through an AI that uh, companies have been working on for years, will we see a similar type of breakthrough moment when it comes to autonomy? Breakthrough moment, meaning like the stock pops on the back of FSD specifically? What is punch through? Or, no, just from a technology standpoint, okay. essentially that the models get to a point where this uh, becomes a reality and then it's just everywhere, just like ChatGPT. Right. Gene, thanks. Gene Munster. Thank you. All right. Uh, Tim, what would you ask? I would ask him if he's bothered by corporate governance because it's clear that he's been bothered by corporate governance his whole career. He's paid no attention to it. Um, you know, that some of these board elections, even today, J.B. Strabo, I mean, replacing the Japanese pension fund doesn't seem like a good trade for investors. So that, that's my question. How do you feel about corporate governance? Do you believe in it? Uh, the, the most important pressing thing for investors is margins. 
I would rather figure that out back end into that and say, what do you feel on pricing? I have to know his thought process on whether he's lowering, raising, how deep is he going to go on that? And then I could figure out the margins out of that. Guy. Is there a scenario with the Twitter valuation where you would be forced to sell more Tesla stock? And what is that scenario? That is a very interesting question. And that has been part of your bear case on, on Tesla. Yeah, I mean, my case is that the Twitter is a huge overhang for Tesla. But the question I would have is, like, we can give credit where credit's due. He's done amazing things for pushing forward the development of EVs and, and the whole industry globally, okay? And look what he's done with SpaceX, okay? Like, the, so why not spend all of your time on SpaceX? You're like the space guy, you know what I mean? Like, you drop the mic on Tesla, drop the mic on Twitter, drop the mic on Neuralink, and do the thing that would be so impactful for the planet. I think that his answer would be he can do it all. But I would say my answer to him or my pushback might be it doesn't appear right now over the last year you're doing a great job but with why? all of them. I mean, SpaceX why, why just had a major victory. I mean, you know, I would I, I do think that uh, look, and I'm not going to argue he's doing a great job at any of these places because I'm not going to. It's all relative. I mean, I, he's got people working at these companies that are doing what they're doing. I, I, there's been a real argument about distraction at Tesla for Twitter. So I, I agree. That. SpaceX, I think right now, Again, uh, for a private company that we don't have a lot of information about, um, the progress there seems extraordinary. To your point, though, I mean, for the next year, the question is if it's going to be tough for at least the next 12 months, which is what he predicts himself, then what does that mean for the stock? And if all these other companies go bankrupt, some of the others, does that mean that investor money, it's sort of the ATM effect, does that go to Tesla, which is actually a good thing for the stock? Think, I think part of what he said is exactly that. If you can sort of get to the other side of this, we will be in a much better position, given what I think is going to happen over the next year where things are going to be rough. We will be the one that wins on the other side. What happens between here and then, though? That's the real question. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Conversation gold came up. GDX, I think that 33 level is a level you, you, you can be starting nibbling on this. I think gold is going significantly higher over the next six to nine months. Steve. I, I think Elon Musk always tempers his opinion on, on what the overall economy is going to do. He's somewhat similar to a Jamie Dimon. So I think he's setting the bar real low for himself. I'm going to go with Tesla for the final trade. Dan. Uh, despite guys' unusual optimism about the uh, McCarthy-Biden meeting, I-, I think you could be long some VIX calls here. I think that this is going to go down for the Is sarcastic? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, guy. Uh, Mets raise this evening. <laughs> oh, Jay. how about that? What's your prediction? Figs. <laughs> My prediction is pain. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Mr. T, I heard that before. We talked about oven mitts earlier, which (laughs) provided me with, actually, you've been coughing ever since. I know. Uh, William-Sonoma, too cheap at these levels. So funny, your joke is, that's why. Uh, Thank you for watching Fast Money. Do not go anywhere. David Faber's sit-down interview with Elon Musk is just moments away. We've got live coverage right after this quick break. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
carries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.